This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Just announced a $6 billion tax break today for liquefied natural gas projects in this province. That's what the provincial government is offering up as an incentive to resuscitate the LNG industry. Ted Chernecki explains why the timing of the incentives is key and what taxpayers will get in return. Incoming, yet another pitch to the liquid natural gas industry to call BC home, but this time from the New Democrats. At the end of the day, it could well be a $40 billion project. When it comes to LNG... Rewind, and the then-opposition leader, though never opposed to LNG, was frequently critical of all the incentives the Liberals were offering. But market conditions are now coming around, and they will make a final investment decision if they believe that the market conditions are correct. It is pretty ironic that the NDP have completely reversed themselves. They trashed the LNG industry for 10 years. So now the NDP is arguably offering even more incentives, including the option of big gas companies to not pay the provincial sales tax, at least not up front. If you go to the go to the hardware store and you buy a, a, a couple of two by fours to take home, there's PST on that. Uh, in this case, the, the company in question, whether it be LNG Canada or someone else, would purchase those two by fours and pay the PST once they'd constructed whatever they were going to construct and they had a stream of revenue to pay it. But this is a very bad announcement. We Environmentalists were quick to react, even though the NDP has four key conditions to be met. That BC gets a fair return on its natural resource, that there be lots of jobs and training opportunities for British Columbians, and it partners and respects First Nations. But the biggest one, that somehow the province still meets its climate commitments. With significant aggressive effort on transit in the Lower Mainland, which we're well underway on, if we can reduce our transportation emission profile, that gives more space for industrial activity. What the Premier said is to compensate for all of that, the rest of us have to lower our heating, um, maybe close our businesses if they, if they release carbon. We have to carry the weight. It sounds crazy. It is crazy. If all the cards fall into place and before November the company decides to build, it would be the biggest private investment in B.C. history. Ted Chernecki, Global News. Well, the announcement is a contentious one. Keith Baldry joins us to talk more about Green Party leader Andrew mm -hmm. Weaver's reaction today. And Keith, could this actually bring down the government as Weaver has sort of suggested in the past? Well, we're a ways away from that scenario playing out. But you're right, Andrew Weaver's very upset. He says basically in a letter to LNG Canada uh, that if the NDP moves in this direction with these types of t tax uh, incentives and such, particularly exempting the company from paying increases in the carbon tax, that uh, that would mean his, part, his uh, caucus would no longer have confidence in uh, the BC NDP government, which does raise the specter potentially of bringing down the government. He points to the CASA. This is the confidence and supply agreement he signed with the NDP, which specifically refers to a climate uh, plan with targets. And he mentioned that today in, in context of what confidence actually means to him.
The confidence in this government relies on them putting in a climate plan to meet our 2030 and 2050 targets. Period. That is what our confidence gets. This is why we agreed to sign such an agreement. It's pretty clear the BC Liberals were not so interested in this, but the BC NDP were. All right, Keith, if the Greens follow through on their threat to potentially topple the NDP government, when could that happen? Yeah, so this is how things are going to calm down, I think. So there's no more confidence vote scheduled for this legislative session or indeed the fall legislative session. That's the only way the NDP can fall from power is through a formal confidence vote. They've passed the budget, so they're in the clear for that. Fast forward to next spring. That's the next confidence vote with a vote on next year's budget. Uh, by then, we should know whether LNG is a go or not. If it's not a go, it's a moot point. If it is a go, Weaver would be effectively voting down a $40 billion investment, which is an issue John Hargan would probably like to take to the people. All right. Thanks for that, Keith. Well, Metro Vancouver gas prices have officially tied the all-time record, and experts say it's only going higher. It's crazy. I've never seen these prices this high. The price at the pump hitting a buck fifty-five-nine for a liter of regular. That's the same as what we saw in June of 2014. Analysts say a number of factors are driving the increase, including the Olympic pipeline between Oregon and Washington being down for maintenance. The Parkland refinery in Burnaby also down. And coming up, two Washington refineries will also shut down for spring maintenance. And as if that wasn't enough, starting April 1st, the NDP will hike the carbon tax. What it all means is expectations are that gas will hit $1.60 a liter by early April. Well, it turns out revenue generated by the province's soon-to-be-upgraded red-light cameras won't be going towards easing the financial burden at ICBC after all. Originally, the idea was to use the money from those busted for speeding to drive down premium increases. But now we hear the province is going to use the money differently, and Paul Johnson joins us now with more on that. Paul. Yeah, Chris, that money is going to go back to the cities that have the cameras. This despite the advice of an outside auditor that said as much as $89 million per year could be raised that could go back to help shore up ICBC's finances, which as you remember, have been so elegantly described as a dumpster fire. George Orwell himself would probably be impressed. The all-seeing eye of government looking to spot what it believes are lawbreakers and then take their money. With no upper limit to what surveillance technology can achieve and seemingly no end to ICBC's financial problems, one suggestion was to take revenue generated from intersection cameras and use it to offset ICBC's billion-dollar loss. Inspired advice, but the NDP government isn't interested. This uh, red light camera initiative is not a revenue generation piece for ICBC. It's not uh, going to be creating money that will help uh, close the financial gap at ICBC. Uh, Where revenues from tickets go is to local government. Critics say it's an unproven safety improvement measure that'll just make cities addicted to the money from camera generated fines. Municipalities should not be taking the money. Municipalities should not be turning their police departments into profit centers. They should not be addicted to ticket fine revenue. The cameras are going to be using radar. And wait until you hear what defense lawyer Kyla Lee has to say. 
that the speed measuring capabilities of those cameras are far from foolproof. Since calibration and, and maintenance of, of radar devices is a particularly important issue in assessing reliable speeds, that's going to be evidence that they're going to have to bring if speed is part of the offense. People who build and sell those cameras probably have a different take on their effectiveness, but lawyers like Kyla Lee say if you get a ticket generated by one of those cameras, you should absolutely dispute it. The onus is on the government to prove it was installed and was working properly when it took a picture of you. Chris? All right, thanks, Paul. The police watchdog is appealing for a key witness in a fatal Chilliwack incident to come forward. It happened on the afternoon, the afternoon of Saturday, February the 24th. The man suspected of abducting his child went into medical distress and died after being tasered by police. Investigators want to speak with the driver or occupants of a black or dark blue Dodge Ram 1500 that was stopped in the southbound curb lane of Vetter Road at Story Avenue as the incident unfolded. The suspect in a series of frightening attacks on Vancouver's west side has been arrested. The arrest of 39-year-old Colin Akwe of Coquitlam comes a week after police released surveillance images in at least four different assaults. Acting on a tip from the public, investigators arrested Akwe yesterday afternoon in Coquitlam. He's now charged with one count of assault and one count of assault with a weapon. Further charges are expected. Our investigators are still uh, working diligently to try and Uh, uncover a motive in here and right now it is just not clear what the motive actually was. Investigators are currently looking at uh, his background and obviously working hard to try and get a motive for these. Meantime, Vancouver police are warning the public about 25-year-old Thomas Joseph Lloyd Brown, who's now wanted on a Canada-wide warrant. Police say Brown is wanted in connection with a stabbing at a family gathering on March 17th. The victim suffered serious but non-life-threatening injuries. Brown is facing charges of aggravated assault, assault with a weapon, and assault causing bodily harm. A suspicious occurrence prompted a heavy police presence at the Surrey Tax Centre today. RCMP were called to the Canada Revenue Agency complex in the 9700 block of King George Boulevard this morning when an employee received a threat. The area was searched and a suspicious object was located inside the parking garage. Further investigation confirmed the object was not a threat to public safety. The investigation is ongoing to determine if the suspicious object is linked to the threat. A B.C. man who ran a helicopter-based drug smuggling ring pleaded guilty today in a Seattle courtroom to conspiracy charges. Colin Hugh Martin, formerly of Malacquois, B.C., faces 5 to 40 years in prison. Although the U.S. Attorney's Office said it would recommend no more than 10 years when he's sentenced in June. The 46-year-old father of six admitted he headed a drug ring that flew marijuana and MDMA or ecstasy south into Washington state and exchanged it for cocaine, which was then flown north into Canada. As expected, a particularly nasty day out there in many parts of the province. A mudslide shut down Highway 20 in both directions, 22 kilometers west of the junction of Highway 97 at Williams Lake because of debris on the road. The area is expected to reopen right around now, but it's best to check Drive BC before heading out if that's on your route. And that's not all. The rain pounding down on parts of the lower mainland as well. And while it may officially be spring, winter is about to make one last push. 
At least we think it's a last push. Meteorologist Christy Gordon has the updated timeline for snow in the forecast. Christy. Thanks, Chris. Yes, so the temperatures and freezing levels are starting to drop. This is a look at the Coquihalla, where travel advisory is in effect. Up to 15 centimeters is expected by morning. Meanwhile, the Fraser Valley and higher elevations of Metro Vancouver could see anywhere from zero to four centimeters by noon tomorrow. Lower elevations will likely cool off to only three degrees, so should just see rain, but... There is a big concern. The air mass that is moving in is very unstable and could act like popcorn, where any of these little cells or kernels could become very intense with no warning at all. And when that happens, even lower elevations has a chance of localized pocket of snow, even at three degrees. And they could also see intense hail along with it. So, Chris, the biggest concern will be in the morning during the commute to work without any warning at all. Some commuters certainly could get hit. All right. Thanks. Uh, thanks for the update, Christy. Right now, though, some renters are getting a rough ride from landlords requesting more personal information than they should. BC's acting privacy commissioner says it's a big problem and he wants new rules to crack down. With a vacancy rate less than 1% in Metro Vancouver, renters know just how difficult it is to find a place. Tons of horror stories. Like people lining up outside and there's like already like 50 people in line waiting like just to view the apartment. A new report released by BC's Acting Information and Privacy Commissioner finds the highly competitive market could be prompting landlords to overreach when it comes to asking potential tenants for highly personal and sensitive information. Landlords are over-collecting information, as we found out in our investigation, in almost every circumstance. The report makes several recommendations. One is that landlords not search social media before deciding to rent out a home. Your social media posts are about you personally, about who your friends are, perhaps your political leanings, your hobbies. None of that is relevant to you as a tenant. It also finds too many landlords are running credit checks, something the acting commissioner says reveals way more information than is relevant to a rental agreement. Credit checks would only be required if you can't obtain references from a prospective tenant. But Landlord BC CEO David Hutniak disagrees, saying a soft credit check is an important screening tool. We just feel that a credit, uh, credit report is the cleanest. And, and really, uh, you know, we feel that it's a critically important for sort of the smaller landlord. As for social media, Hutniak says it should be okay for landlords to do a quick Google search on applicants. We disagree with him. We think that social media should be part of the uh, part of the analysis, but we need to probably find a sort of a appropriate balance there to make sure that landlords know uh, how to use that information appropriately. The acting commissioner will be following up with landlords, but until the market becomes more balanced, it's likely tenants will still feel pressured to hand over their information just to have a chance at getting the rental. Jill Bennett, Global News. Check your smoke detectors. Health Canada has recalled 40,000 of them across the country. The recall affects two models of Kitta brand detectors sold between November 2016 and January 2017. Along with the model numbers, two other ways to tell if your detector is being recalled. If you can see that yellow cap through the gap in the side or if it has that pill shape on the surface, you can contact Kitta for a free replacement and you can find more information on our website. The ongoing backlash over Facebook and other social media has landed in BC's capital city. Kylie Stanton tells us why Victoria Mayor Lisa Helps is the latest to join a growing movement to abandon Facebook. 
Oh, here's here's one. Can't handle the heat, then get out of the kitchen, or in this case, City Hall. Her relationship status with Facebook, well, it's complicated. None of the things that I've read, even the positive ones for that matter, um, are really helpful. And that's why the mayor of Victoria is breaking up with the social media platform. Quitting Facebook over the past four years, it's become a really negative echo chamber where um, people aren't any longer interested in having an actual conversation. It's a departure for this politician, whose savvy use of social media was widely considered to be one of the keys to her narrow victory, claiming the mayor's office in 2014. But since then, the discourse that was once useful has dissolved into this. Sorry, Ms. Helps, but you and most of your council have absolutely no credibility. You simply do not have a record of truth-telling. When does Lisa Helps get fired? And you are a quitter with thin skin. Discussion groups and chat lines and just the trolls. Uh, there's some pretty poisonous stuff out there. You know, I'm standing up in this role because I can take it. Helps' decision happens to come on the heels of the Cambridge Analytica data collection scandal. But she says she's been weaning off the medium for weeks now. A sign of the times where not only politicians are weighing the pros and cons. People are becoming increasingly aware of their privacy, increasingly aware of their digital footprints. People want to have their rights back. They want to be able to control their data, control their information. But that doesn't mean it's necessarily stopping anyone. The mayor referenced a study that showed the average person touches their phone 2,617 times a day. 15% of that was to access Facebook. And it doesn't include the amount of time spent on other devices like a laptop. All of it adding up to a whole lot of distraction. And me getting off Facebook is not going to change that. It's not going to change other people's behavior. But what it will do is it'll allow me to be engaged in the kinds of conversations that I think are the hard conversations to have. Which means replacing Facebook with face-to-face. A potentially risky move with another election campaign about to ramp up. But a clean break is usually the best way to move on from a toxic relationship. Kylie Stanton, Global News, Victoria. Growing outrage in Sacramento tonight where police have released body cam footage showing officers shooting and killing an unarmed black man. Among other questions, critics are asking why the officers decided to mute the audio on their cameras after the shooting. I just broke the window, running south, running to the south. Officers in a chopper investigating reports of a man vandalizing cars saying they have a visual on the suspect. All I can tell is he's got a hoodie on. A heat signature from the police helicopter camera, the first glimpse of 22-year-old Stephen Clark. Okay, let's get a permit on this guy's running. Two officers below close in. Stop! And here is the moment of contact on the ground. Show me your hands, gun! In the dark, an officer yells gun. Show me your hands, gun, gun, gun! Police firing 20 shots at Clark in his grandparents' backyard, finding no weapons, only a cell phone. Minutes later, one officer says mute, and the two cameras stop recording audio. Clark's family wants to know exactly what was said. You're muting something. You don't want the public to hear what you're saying. And that means that if you don't want the truth to come out, then all of it is a lie. Sacramento Police Chief Daniel Hahn. When you saw them turn off the audio there in that clip, what did you think? I'm just curious why they did that. And so, but I knew that was part of the investigation. Sacramento has been criticized over use of force against black men in the past. Police confirming in this shooting, one of the officers who opened fire was also black. Things are heated right now. It gets People are angry and hurting and all those sort of things. And I just don't want anybody else to get hurt in our community while we're going through this investigation. But even with transparency, tonight, a community's frustration still grows. Gotti Schwartz, NBC News, Sacramento. 
And some eerie news surveillance video shows the man responsible for the worst massacre in modern U.S. history in the final days before he gunned down 58 people. The hotel video showing the almost mundane movements of Las Vegas shooter Stephen Paddock as he amassed an arsenal in his room. Surveillance images show Stephen Paddock calmly checking in at the Mandalay Bay's VIP desk. It's Monday, September 25th, nearly a week before the shooting. After eating alone at a sushi restaurant, Paddock drives his car to valet, where a bellman unloads five suitcases. Police say Paddock stays with the luggage and asks to use the service elevators instead of guest elevators, a request that's not uncommon. Later that night, he leaves the hotel with two suitcases, driving an hour to his home in Mesquite. It's a routine that repeats itself. Tuesday, Paddock returns to Mandalay Bay, where a different bellman helps him move seven more suitcases. Thursday, he brings a white container in three more bags, and over the weekend, two more trips home. In all, at least 21 suitcases plus smaller bags are brought to his 32nd floor suite, as Paddock gradually amasses 23 guns and thousands of rounds of ammo. Undiscovered killers who are planning things go about their preparation in a pretty mundane, routine fashion. Between the trips home, he's seen playing video poker and chatting with employees. The video was released by MGM Resorts, which says Stephen Paddock gave no indication of what he planned to do, and his interactions with staff and overall behavior were all normal. The final image shows Paddock walking off an elevator Sunday, nearly 10 hours before the massacre. What the footage doesn't explain is why he did it. Joe Fryer, NBC News. Heavy rain has caused flash flooding in Southern California. Some areas receiving nearly 250 millimeters of rain. This man, one of five people rescued from flash flooding in the community of Paso Robles in the Sacramento area, roads and swimming pools flooded and some hillsides gave way. For the past five days, the coastal town of Hearts Delight, Newfoundland has been consumed with a rescue mission. Save seven dolphins trapped by ice in their shallow harbor. Finally today, the local fire chief came to the rescue. Lynn Collier reports. Since Sunday, this pod of white-beaked dolphins has been swimming in smaller and smaller circles, hemmed in by encroaching sea ice. We started to move in some ice trying to... to to, to free the ice up uh, and get it around the head of the wharf because uh, the whole harbour was kind of black this morning. From Sunday till now, they were in peril. Like, uh, they were in shallow water this morning and the ice closed in on them. They never had much room. The community of Hearts Delight has been here around the clock, watching and hoping conditions could improve enough for them to be able to get a big fisheries boat in to break through the ice. The wind uh, cooperated a bit and, and blew the wind at the ice offshore. And then uh, finally we got it down to enough where uh, the Coast Guard boat or the uh, fisheries boat could make a, a pass in through. And after four days of being trapped, they are free. Keep going, keep going. Swimming off to cheers and honks from those who helped in their rescue. It was a great feeling to, to get them out of there, right? Fortunately, everything turned out well and they're free to go. They're free to go. <laughs> when something happens here, the whole community is behind you, right? What better than that can you ask for a community? Lynn Collier, Global News. Keep a close eye on your mailbox. The invitation of the year could be on its way. 
Kensington Palace saying today that invitations for the wedding of Prince Harry and Meghan Markle have been mailed. Some 600 people have been invited to the May 19th nuptials. The invitations are beveled and gilded in gold along the edges and feature Prince Charles's three-feather badge. They were made by Barnard and Westwood, which has held the royal contract for printing and bookbinding since 1985. In Health Matters tonight, a new U.S. study links eating charred meat cooked at high temperatures with high blood pressure. Scientists say when juices and fat drip from meat onto an open flame, they splatter the meat with polycyclic hydrocarbons. There is evidence over time that might affect blood vessels. The good news, the real risk is to people who eat grilled food every other day and two or three times a week is okay if you watch the rest of your diet. Another reminder tonight that while killer whales are spectacular creatures, they are still wild animals. Linda Aylesworth explains how researchers discovered they are capable of some rather shocking behavior. There is a disturbing behavior among some species of animals known as infanticide, when an infant is killed by another member of the same species. I think it's, it's common uh, within the animal kingdom, but it, it's rarely observed. Um, I think for, for us as humans to actually observe it is, is quite rare. And yet that's exactly what biologist Jared Towers witnessed just over a year ago off the BC coast. And we received a report from Orca Lab of strange vocalizations in Johnson Strait and we headed out in the boat. They came upon two small unrelated family groups of transient or bigs killer whales. One had a small calf with her. The scene was not out of the ordinary. But then we realized that the baby uh, was not surfacing next to its mom. And, and this is a, a brand new newborn. It, it was probably only a few hours old. They were confused at first. Then the gravity of the situation became clear. The male who was unrelated to the, the mother and the infant uh, swam right underneath the boat. And uh, he had that infant in his mouth. Below the surface, the sounds of sheer chaos. <laughs> You've got... The male with the infant, uh, it's trying to drown it. You've got the mother of the infant chasing the male. You've also got the, the mother of the male trying to deter the infant's mother from getting the infant back. The newborn's mother continued her desperate fight to save her calf. As the male was near the surface, the infant's mother came up from underneath him and, and rammed him so hard his blubber shook like a bowl full of jello and it sent spray and blood flying into the air. This is the first recorded case of infanticide among killer whales. Why would such a thing happen? Presumably because without a calf, the mother will soon be ready to breed again, giving the killer a chance to have his genes live on in the next generation. Linda Aylesworth, Global News. Now, a much happier marine story and one of the Vancouver Aquarium's most unusual releases. For the first mission of its not-for-profit OceanWise initiative, the aquarium released a female giant octopus into the ocean off Bowen Island. They made the decision to place the octopus back into the wild when they saw evidence that she was ready to mate. Taking no chances, divers accompanied her all the way to a den on the ocean floor, limiting her exposure to open water where she was most vulnerable to predators. She seems to be settling in just fine. And a school bus driver comes face to face with a nightmare, the full video after the forecast. Oh, yikes. Yeah. 
scary, but everybody's okay. All right. Meteorologist Christy Gordon joins us now. We uh, chatted with you a little bit earlier on in the show. Now, that doesn't look anything like snow behind you. No, this is very deceiving, that's for sure. We saw a heavier rain earlier today, and the reason for that is is the cold front moved across the region. Now we're in behind, and that's why we're seeing the breaks of sunshine. You can see the breaks in between the clouds here. So that's what we'll be contending with overnight tonight and through the morning hours. But as I mentioned earlier, these little pockets, don't let them deceive you. They can be really intense. Tense, and we have enough instability that a pocket or an isolated cell could roll through and it could bring hail, it could bring lightning, and it could bring a downpour of snow even for lower elevations if your temperature is at 3 or 4 degrees. So this is what it'll look like over the next little while. So you'll see certainly some dry patches, but you do have a chance of snow. Here's the breakdown. 0 to 4 centimeters for Fraser Valley. All of these areas, higher terrain, Metro Vancouver, Sunshine Coast, and Greater Victoria and Vancouver Island. Inland sections and east coast higher terrain could see up to 10 centimeters of snow a little bit more intense in through your region and there's an idea of what it looks like when all of a sudden an intense pocket of hail moves across the region so during the commute to work tomorrow i'm afraid that there is a chance even lower elevations could run into a scenario like that along with the risk of thunderstorm that continues right across southern bc you can already see some lightning strikes starting to move in snowfall warning all across the north 15 centimeters for western sections up to 30 by the end of this is uh, this whole storm for that south or northeastern corner of the province so BC Peace River along with windy conditions and whiteout conditions as well that will continue in your region for tomorrow meanwhile across the south the bulk of the snowfall overnight it becomes more showery or pockets it'll warm up through the afternoon hours so the flurries will change over to showers and that's the same plan across the south coast again mainly higher elevations expecting snow however there is a chance that even lower elevations could see an isolated pocket. This is your weekend, everyone, so we just have to get through the next 24 hours, in particular the commute to work tomorrow. Otherwise, the sunshine is looking nice for the weekend. Interesting shot from Kelowna, just taken yesterday. Terry Knox sent us this, and if you're wondering, that is a sunset, but there's probably a terrain feature in this mountain that's just blocking part of it, and that's why it's split. It looks like two pictures side by side. I know, neat, hey? What a cool effect. Thanks, Christy. Thanks, Christy. All right, a school bus driver in South Carolina has almost no time to react when an oncoming semi-trailer crosses the center line. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. The bus's dash cam capturing that horrifying sight, while the camera inside the bus shows driver Tammy Cummings has only enough time to cover her face and head. The bus was carrying four special needs children and a teacher's aide but incredibly, no one was seriously hurt. That's incredible. Wow. Not sure how they managed not to be seriously no. hurt. Yeah, that was great. Okay, uh, Squires here with uh, look at sports. Yes, uh, we'll update you what's happening with the Canucks and the Blackhawks. Remember when that was a big game, the Canucks and the Blackhawks? Yeah, we were just doing the Chelsea dagger. Not, well, they still actually do the Chelsea dagger. Yeah. But they're not going to do it in the playoffs because they won't be in the playoffs, the Blackhawks. Chelsea Dagger. Oh, we've all got it stuck in our heads mm-hmm. again. That's so that was one of my favorite stories we did, uh, I think it was around 2011, when we asked the Canuck players, we put the little headphones on them and played Chelsea Dagger. What does this make you think of? Yeah, they were not impressed. And I remember the Canuck said to us, okay, you can do this story, but whatever you do, don't put the headset on Roberto Luongo. Oh, no. Do oh. not include him in the story. So it's like, okay, <laughs> well, stay away from Luongo. Um, all right. And if this makes Canuck fans feel any better about their current situation, 
Chicago's not going to make the playoffs either, and that hasn't happened in a decade. It's like some of their stars have fallen, like stars will do. Uh, take Duncan Keith, for example. He's right there, number two. He's a Hall of Famer. He'll be in the Hall of Fame for sure when his career is over. Last year, he was a plus 22. This year, he's a minus 22. Now, it's a case of being older, having played way too much hockey, all those playoff games, Olympic games. It really puts miles on the old odometer. All right, Blackhawks, Canucks, like I said before, at one time this was a marquee matchup. Not now. But actually, we're going to kick it old school here because that's an Alex Edler goal. Alex Edler goal? That is kind of 2011. Nick Schmaltz gets one here when he deflects in a Brent Seabrook shot. Brent Seabrook, that's also kind of 2011. That made it 1-1. But here's how it really gets to be old school. Edler and Henrik Sedin have scored in the same game against Chicago. And we haven't seen a Henrik goal since November. And now it's 3-1 for the Canucks over Chicago. So, we're having a good night. This is uh, the BCHL. Tyler Giardosi for trail. Watch this goal. Move. Move. Goal. Yep. Part of a win against Penticton last night. Show you another angle of it. That's good hand eye. And then hits a water bottle for extra effect. Well done. Match play championship. Adam Hadwin against world number one and defending champion Dustin Johnson. Hadwin of Abbotsford, of course, from 40 feet away for Bird. To go up by two holes in this match. Wasn't DJ's day. Not to take away any, anything from Hadwin, but uh, normally Dustin Johnson doesn't miss this. Down by three, 15th hole. Hadwin is off the green. Gets this one close enough. And Johnson concedes. Game over. Hadwin wins four and three. His record is now one win and a draw in this round robin. Needs to win his match tomorrow against uh, Bern Wiesberger of Austria to advance to the final 16. Johnson is 0-2, so he is out. It looks like Whitecaps defender Marcel de Jong will be able to play Saturday's game against the LA Galaxy at BC Place. As we said before the break, he suffered a really bizarre chest injury in Houston a couple of weeks ago, which looked like nothing when it was happening, but turned out to be rather serious. At least trying the cross, and the new market boy got in the way. It was a routine play that happens in soccer all the time, but this time when Marcel de Jong blocked a hard cross with his chest, the resulting injury was anything but routine. De Jong suffered a bruised lung, and it literally brought him to his knees. I was pretty in panic. Uh, I mean, uh, I don't know, I just jumped uh, up to block a cross, and uh, uh, nothing weird happened. Basically, I just got a ball in my chest, and uh, I was fine. I caught for a second. But I got up and uh, I kept on playing for like a minute and a half, two minutes, and then all of a sudden blood was coming out, and that's the thing that kind of freaked me out. De Jong ended up going to the hospital in Houston, where he spent the night for observation before returning home the next day. He just resumed training with the Whitecaps earlier this week. He was off his feet for about 10 days, but now he's ready to take his healthy lungs back into action against the LA Galaxy this weekend.
want to be there for the teammates and uh, help them out. And so hopefully uh, uh, I'll be back on, on the weekend. Very delay Global Sports. The LA Galaxy have signed Swedish superstar Zlatan Ibrahimovic to a two-year deal worth $3 million, but he won't be here for the game against the Whitecaps. In fact, I'm not sure he'll ever play here. He's one of these guys who hates playing on artificial turf. Just released by Man United, hasn't played since Boxing Day last year. One time a world-class scorer, but he's 36 now. Not as healthy as he used to be, but he's still going to draw a crowd in MLS. Women's World Curling Championships. Canada's Jennifer Jones trying to stay perfect in the sixth. Yes, yes, yes. Canada won 8-7 to improve to 9-0, uh, and, oh, and they just beat Italy 14-6, to six, so they're now 10-0 in first place. There you go. Love her reaction. <laughs> I did it. This is your snow report for this March the 22nd. Whistler Blackcomb picked up 5 centimeters of fresh powder, bringing it up to 293 centimeters of snow on the ground. Cypress has 255. Sasquatch has 377. In Revelstoke, we picked up 3 centimeters of snow. Now we have 255 centimeters of snow on the ground. Mount Washington, 225. Big White picked up some fresh snow as well, up to 303 centimeters of snow on the ground. Apex has 279. Coming up on ET Canada, Sean Mendez's date with the Queen, why Rod Stewart is not a fan of Elton John's farewell tour, plus previews of Deadpool 2, Blockers, and Game Over Man. That's coming up at 7, right after the news hour. Back to you, Chris and Sophie. All right, sounds good. Well, after earlier talking about the pitfalls of social media and how it can often bring out the worst in humanity... We leave you tonight on a positive note. A London man is on a mission to lift the spirits of strangers with some kind words and post-it notes, and his message is spreading. In the heart of London, at subways, bus stops, and phone booths, artist Andy Leake is leaving notes to strangers. He always starts again. The dreaded daily commute all around him, Andy, who worked in advertising, thought the city could use a little lift. If I can get one message to one person every day, some, some nice words or some interesting words or some funny words, it might make a little bit of a difference to their day. Writing his positive thoughts, like your best friend was once a stranger. Before long, strangers were writing back. To this fan favorite, strongly agree. And this one, awesome quote. Andy's notes now popping up in Paris, Amsterdam, even in the Alps, and among the palm trees in Florida and California, reaching people in unexpected ways. Thank you. One of your notes saved my life. That message hey, from a man who says mean? he was contemplating okay. suicide when he saw this. Kindness spreads. It's like a nudge towards a more positive mindset. It can make all the difference in the world. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> And it's changed Andy's world, too. He's now a full-time artist, decorating the city. If you do things without an agenda, the universe pays you back in some crazy, amazing ways. Yet another note to live by. Kelly Kobieya, NBC News, London.